chapter 5, loved ones. Let's open up our Bibles. We're going to stay right in this text. 1 Peter chapter 5, only we're going to continue on starting at verse 5 and going to verse 11. 1 Peter 5. 5 to 11. And here we are just so I'm just so thankful for God's sovereignty in this moment right here. As here we are in our current series Jesus over the church living in uncommon community. And if you've been here for the last few weeks, you will have seen this breakdown of what uncommon community is as we see all throughout God's word and we see it here again. Let's commit this to memory loved ones. Uh, uncommon community is God's people living out God's word together. I'll say it again. God's people living out God's word together by God's spirit for God's glory. All of the one another's in the Bible can be summed up in that statement. And today we move to the gospel given heartbeat of all uncommon community. Without this, uncommon community does not function as Christ intends it to. And what is that we are looking at? It is uncommon humility. Uncommon humility. Now, why is this so important that we take this message to zero in on this? Well, I love how commentator uh, Tom Schreiner talks about humility. You'll see it on the screen. He says it this way. Humility is the oil. Can you picture this? Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. And we'll get into that definition of humility in just a moment. But I want you to focus on this illustration. It is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. You think of putting oil in a car. You think of putting oil in a bike or a, or a lawnmower or a tractor or, or whatever it is. How's it running if there's no oil? Everyone say, it's not. It's not running. In fact, it's breaking down. There's a great picture of humility. So if we're going to understand what Jesus calls us to when he tells us to live with an uncommon humility. Let's get on the same page. Let's put that definition of humility back on the screen. It says this. When we look at humility here in the text, this word means, a, it actually means to be lowly. It is a lowliness of pride. Can we put that back up there, guys? A lowliness of pride that is God-reliant, not self-reliant. Humility says no to self-government. Humility is a lowliness of pride that is God-reliant, not self-reliant. And it results in an attitude, I love this, that one is not too good to serve. It is produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord rather than to others. Let me ask you a question. If you look back over your last week, Who'd you mainly compare yourself to? And I think as you read that definition, 
you will see the problem that you and I face pretty clearly. And what is that? Pride. Pride. Pride, loved ones, we must understand, is one of the great enemies to uncommon community. And here's an even greater challenge. Ready? Pride is our natural default. Kind of a tough battle, huh? Pride is our natural default. We are naturally self-oriented. Do you ever notice that? We, you and I, are naturally self-oriented, and we will naturally look out for our own interests. There's our default. My way, my preferences for how things should be done. I want to be the one to be served, not to serve. I deserve to be served. I want position. I want a greater platform. I want to get up the next rung of the ladder. We look out for our own reputation. We care often, and let's just be honest, loved ones, so often we care more about the reputation of self than the reputation of Christ, don't we? The self-preservation. And what is the result What is the result of living in, walking in, and letting pride manifest itself in our lives? The same result that's really common to the world. Just look around us, and sadly, look in around the church at large today. Division. Hurt. Selfishness. Pursuing status over submission. Harshness, not gentleness. Consuming, not contributing. A love for self over a love for God and others. And ultimately what it comes down to is this, a seeking of self-glory over God's glory. There's where pride takes us. And here's the big idea for our message today. We gotta lock in. Get your pens ready. You ready, loved ones? Here we go. To live in uncommon community, we must live with uncommon humility. To live with In uncommon community, we must live with uncommon humility. And here in our text today, we're going to see three truths that we must embrace. If we are to live in the uncommon community with the uncommon humility that Jesus calls us to and see his kingdom advance in it and through it for his glory, no matter what comes against it. You ready to go? You ready to go? Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word, loved ones. First Peter chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 5. And go to 11. Let's read this together. One voice, united under the word of God. Let's go. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's, before you sit down, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a good and great and awesome God, and there is none like you. And I pray right now you would open our eyes to see the truth of that afresh, and we would humble ourselves ready, willingly, eagerly, joyfully in your presence. You are God and we are not. You are wise. Your ways are right. Your words are true. And right now in this place, Father, I pray your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh Lord, when you look upon this church and not find people who are defensive to your word, not find refusal, not find the love for self-governing of our lives, but to say, Lord, teach me, I need you. Find a church that's desperate for you, Lord. Please, please do this in us. Give us our daily bread today to have ears to hear what you want to say and heart to respond. Increase faith, bring conviction, bring refreshment, bring truth, bring unity, bring humility. For the glory of your name we pray, amen, amen. You may be seated, you may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here so clearly in the text is this. To live with uncommon humility, we must resolve. Resolve to do what? Choose humility. Choose humility. Here's a question that confronts us from this first section. God will oppose the proud. I'll say that again. God will oppose the proud. Will you cast your anxieties on him? Will you cast your anxieties on him? Let's get our context. Here we are, first century, 64 AD. And the apostle Peter is writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, that's under the control of the Roman Empire. You'll see the, the churches there on a map on a screen up here in a moment. So he's writing, you can see that in verse 1 of chapter 1, the churches he's writing to. Now, why is he writing this letter? There's an urgent tone to this letter. Why? Because he's writing to strengthen and encourage the churches to remain steadfast in their faith and in community together in living in the hope of the gospel. Why? Because he knows this. There's rising persecution. The church is fearful. The church is anxious. The church is weary about what's happening to them and what's going on around them. Why? Because they're undergoing increasingly intense animosity, opposition, and persecution at the hands of the Romans under the leadership of Emperor Nero, a brutal oppressor. And he had turned the empire against Christians by blaming them for burning down Rome, even though history tells us and points to that most likely it was the work of Nero himself. Nero needed a scapegoat, all right? And so the people started to turn on him, but when he blames the Christians, now they turn on them. And there's increasing animosity against them. And so the integrity, the credibility of the church is under attack. Think that's happening today? You bet it is. And after giving a charge to the elders that you just heard of how they were to shepherd the flock in the face of this opposition, Peter now gives a charge to the rest of the church as well. And look what he says, verses 5-6. Go back to the text. He says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 
Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word subject there, circle it in the text. The word subject there means to place yourself under or submit. To submit to the leadership of your elders. To submit to the protection of your elders and the care of your elders. And Peter tells the church here to clothe themselves. See the word he uses? Circle the word clothe there in the text. He uses the word to clothe themselves. That means to fasten or secure yourself with what? With humility. With humility towards one another. Why does he tell them to do this? Here it is. Because God opposes the proud. Right from the text. But he gives grace to the humble. Now let's get some clarity. We've, taught, we've unpacked what humility is in this text, what that means. But now let's look at the other side of that. What is God talking about pride really is? Ready? Ready to go in? You'll see it on the screen. When he says God opposes the proud, the word proud there means to show oneself above others. To treat others with contempt and to make oneself preeminent. Forget Colossians 1. Jesus being preeminent over all things, that's me. My ways, my time, my desires, when I want, what I want, how I want, and where I want. I'm preeminent. If I could sum up pride, it would simply be this, putting ourselves above God and others. There it is. And notice God's response to pride. Just go back to the text. Look at that. Verse 5. It says he opposes the proud. Okay, we have to understand this. Circle opposes. You know what that word opposes means? It, here it means to square off against. To square off against. God opposes the proud. He squares off against the proud. It means to set oneself against it. And you know what? The picture of this word, the, the picture that goes with it, means to oppose intensely. God opposing pride intensely. And it's the picture of an army that is drawing a battle line. You'll see it on the screen. There it is. There's God in our pride. God draws the battle line against pride. He will not bless it. He will not fraternize with us and say, you know what, hey, yeah, I get why you need to be prideful. I get it. Maybe next time we'll get it. It says he opposes it intensely. He squares off. He draws the battle line. Hey, can I just ask a question? I got me thinking about this. I'm really sobered by this. How do you think squaring off against God's going to go? Like, how, how do you think that's going to go? You probably have a better chance of beating God in jeopardy. Like, just it. How do you think that's going to go in your marriage? When you don't humble yourself before your wife or husband, ultimately before God. How do you think it's going to go in your family? You want to draw the battle line against God in your family? Walk in pride. You want God's opposition against your pride in the church? Let's draw the battle line. 
How do you think that's going to go? We so rightly will say, Lord, bless me, but Lord, don't humble me. See, we have to understand that here's the truth we got to realize against this, why God does this. You'll see it on the screen. God always draws his battle line against pride. Here's good news, not to destroy us, but to deliver us. He always draws his battle line against pride, not to destroy you and I, but to deliver you and I from it because he knows the devastating consequences that are awaiting for you if you continue to walk in it. Remember we said last week, God's plan A for us is humility. God's plan B, humiliation. Not to destroy us, but to deliver us. That's why he draws the battle. He loves us. He loves you. See, and Peter knew this, and we must know it too, that if the people of God were able to withstand the animosity, the attack that was coming against them, they couldn't rely on ourselves. You and I cannot rely on ourselves, just like they couldn't, to stand up to what they would face. If they were to have God's grace, the word grace there, by the way, it's not opposition, it means favor. It means blessing. They had to choose to humble themselves. That's the command, humble. Humility is a choice, a God-empowered choice. Humble themselves under his mighty and sovereign hand, dependent on him alone for his wisdom, for his power, for his protection, and his timing in what they were facing. And know that at the proper time, hey, circle, proper time right there. At the proper time, verse six, his time, the right time, he would lift them up in this life and definitely in the next. Hey, let me ask you a question. Do you wrestle, you wrestle with this as much as I do? Do you have difficulty humbling yourself under the Lord's proper time for things? Any takers? Maybe just me. Okay, thanks for not leaving me hanging, loved ones. Love that. You have trouble humbling yourself under the Lord's proper time? I do. I sure do. But say this with me as a good reminder. God's time is always the proper time. God's time is always the right time, loved ones. Amen, young one. Amen. And you may say, okay, wait a second. I don't want the opposition. I'm through walking in the pride, but it's so hard. It clings so closely. I'm so focused on myself and trying to get what I want. How do I do this? Praise the Lord, he tells us. I love his word so clear. Let's go to verse seven. He tells us how we humble ourselves. Look at verse seven. By casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Oh, I love that. The word casting there, it literally means, ready? To throw upon. Throw those anxieties upon the Lord. Give those anxieties up to God. And what are you casting? What are we supposed to be casting? Go back to the text. What does it say? Casting all your anxieties. Do you know when you really look at what anxiety is, what, what the Bible says anxiety is, right here, this word, it means to worry and to fracture. That's exactly what anxiety does. It means to fracture a person's being into parts. Welcome to anxiety. Would you agree with me, maybe even in this room, 
definitely as we look at the world around us, there's so many living fractured, anxious, fearful, worried, loved ones. And so often we can excuse it and just say, well, that's how I've always been anxious and fearful of man, fearful of all that. This is just how I am about that next job. I just can't help it. Can we see anxiety and fear how God sees it? Again, let's go back to commentator Thomas Schreiner. He puts it this way. I was so convicted. We're going to read it nice and slow so we get it. It says, worry is a form of pride. I'm just going to stop right there. Worry is a form of pride. Because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced that they must solve all the problems in their lives on their own strength. Does anyone ever feel like that? The only God they trust in is themselves. That's what anxiety tells us. That's what fear of what could happen, fear of man, fear of failure, that's what it's telling us. I can only trust in myself. I'm the God I need to trust in. When believers, he goes on to say, throw their worries upon God. There it is, casting your anxiety. When we throw our worries upon God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that he is the Lord and sovereign over all of life. Here's what Peter's calling us to do under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying this, God, I feel anxious about, please, carry this, I cannot. Lord, I feel fearful about what? Lord, I feel upset about, Lord, I'm wanting control over, what is it? Lord, I feel entitled with and extend it. Here he's talking about the anxieties of persecution, that, but think about the pre- bigger principle here. Casting, my desire for platform, my desire to please people, all of it, casting it on the Lord. Strengthen me, Lord, to humble myself. I trust you and I cast this on you. Now, here's the thing about this, right? How many of us do this, ready? It's like, okay, Lord, I'm feeling so anxious about this and I choose to cast it on you. But actually, I know better. I'm just gonna take it back. Anyone do that? Anyone? Maybe just, yeah, yeah, right there. Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm choosing to cast this on you. Just think, next time you go to hang up your coat, make sure you put a hook there. Hey, kids, when you get home, ask your parents. But when you get home, look at a chair and just say, I'm going to practice taking my coat off and casting that on the back of the chair as an attitude and as a commitment to be casting my anxiety on the Lord and not taking it back. I'm going to just cast this on and then not say, but actually, I know better, so I'm just going to take it and then worry for a few more weeks. And I, no, 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 I'm going to cast my fear, but then I'm going to take my fear back because it just seems so big, that situation. Casting it on the Lord and not taking it back. Everyone say, I can't take it back. Can't take it back. And we got to fight against this because remember, loved ones, our natural default always wants to take it back. Give me the faith, Lord. Pray. Call out to him. Desperation. God always draws near to the desperate loved ones. Pray and say, Lord, give me faith to walk under your mighty hand and trust you for your plans, your purposes, your timing, knowing that you love me, knowing that you care. Look at the text. That you care for me and you will work for your glory and my good as you conform me to the image of Jesus through it. 
You're God, and I'm not. You're God, and I'm not. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You're God, I'm not. You are the truth I need in this situation. You're God over this fear. You're God over this doubt. You're God over my worry about my job, about my children, about my marriage. You're God over my anxiety, and I am not. Forgive me. I repent of taking it back. I believe. Help my unbelief. Church family, God will oppose the proud. Will you choose to humble yourself? Choosing to cast. Hey, hey, loved one, are you humbling yourself under God's mighty hand by casting your anxieties on him or are you trying to carry them to yourself? What, what do you need to cast today? Just write it down right there. Say, Lord, I choose in faith to cast this. Help me. What is that for you? Just write it down. What's that anxiety? What's that care? Where are you fractured? And the word cares there, I love that. It means right in the text in verse 7, it means he, hey, can, it means God takes interest in and he loves you deeply. He sees and knows what you're facing and he has great personal concern for you in it. Just want to encourage someone in this room with this. God sees what you're facing. And he has a deep, deep love for you and attention to you. And even though you may think everyone else has their attention elsewhere, God sees and God knows. Cast it. He loves you deeply. And he will act on your behalf at the right time if you humble yourself and trust him. Hey, mom, mom right now with your precious children, guess what? God cares for you in that. Hey, dad, God cares for you. Hey, students, God cares for you. Hey, kids, eyes up here. We're, we're my children. Love you so much. Oh, yeah. Love having you all in the service. Here's, here's a good word for you today. I want you to remember, okay? You ready? God cares for you. And he says, let the children come. He cares for you. Hello, sweetie. And here's the truth we need to understand. When we choose humility before God, we choose the blessing of God every time end of story. When we choose humility before God, we do not choose the opposition of God, we choose the blessing of God every time. See, to live with uncommon humility, we must resolve to choose humility. And from this, if we are to live with an uncommon humility, we must resist. We resolve and then we resist because it's going to be tempted. We must resist and stand firm in humility. See, here's the truth. Loved ones, the church has an enemy. The church has an enemy. Will you stand firm in humble resistance? Will we? With an uncommon humility. Look at verses 8 and 9. Peter takes a sobering turn here and he says this. Be sober-minded. 
Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. See what Peter does there? Now the shift. He's charging with humility. Here's the overflow. Watch this. Peter warns the believers that they have an enemy that is actively working against them. Who's that enemy? The devil. The devil, it's so clear. It's not just some figment or, or an idea. It, the devil is real. And they have, we have an enemy. The devil is always actively, notice the text, prowling. The word prowling there means he treads in full circle around. Looking, watching, waiting, tempting around every area of your home, your life, and the church trying to tear down the community that God is desiring to build. And here's the, here's, the, here's the thing about the devil. His MO hasn't changed. His modus operandi is the same as it was in the first century as it is in the 21st century. See, Peter tells them that if they are not resisting him by standing firm in humility and dependence on God in each area, the devil will try to devour him. That word actually devour. Can we just see the seriousness there for a moment? Because I know it kind of like, oh, the devil talking about... Hey, let's just see the seriousness of what Peter's talking about here, what Scripture says. Circle the word, circle the word devour. It means this, to destroy or consume. There's the devil's MO. To destroy and consume. And we see this happening all over today, don't we? Look at society, and sadly, even in the church. See, this is why, loved ones, hear hear the word of the Lord. This is why you cannot pridefully stand in opposition to God and think that you somehow have a chance to resist the devil from devouring your home, your life, and your church. You can't stand in opposition to God and think you have a chance. See, and and you see this, uh, when he talks about lion, Peter uses this specifically here. You see it on the screen. A lion is known to stalk his prey, waiting for the time when it, it is at its most vulnerable. At that moment... When he sees the vulnerability, he will chase and he will pounce. What does that look like practically? He will sow discord. He will tempt with doubt the character of God, the love of God, your status in God. He will tempt with apathy. And here's one, false doctrine. Not even necessarily, you know, denying major doctrines of Scripture outright. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God, But, see, true discernment, loved ones, as we will see in a moment, is, yes, about what's right and wrong, but it's also about discerning between what's right and almost right. Circle. 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 See, he will try to distract us, to discredit the gospel, and to pull you and I from fellowship. Because here's the truth. The devil doesn't have to destroy a Christian to render them ineffective. Guess what he has to do? Just distract them. 
The distraction pours in. And here's the truth. The, the devil, loved ones, is not the least bit intimidated by the resistance we try to give that comes from ourselves and our strength and our pride. You're not intimidated by that. But by the resistance that we have in one name and only one name by which he is resisted and will flee every time. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. Every time. And we must humble ourselves. This is why we must humble ourselves under him and stand firm. This is why I love James 4, 7. We see this again. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. What's that? Humility. Humble yourselves, therefore, to God. And then resist the devil and he will. There's the promise. He will flee from you. Your marriage, your life, the church. He will flee there's a desperation. There's a desperation. So how do we do this? What does it look like? What does a humble resistance look like? In the uncommon community of faith, we see three, three things right here, right from the text. Get your pens ready. A humble resistance right from the text is spiritually alert. It's not apathetic. It knows you and I are vulnerable. It knows we are vulnerable. Look at verse eight. Go back to verse eight. Be sober-minded and be watchful. There's a spiritual alertness. The word watchful there means to be vigilantly attentive. Hope Ottawa. Be vigilantly attentive on guard against and exercising self-control. See, here's the thing we got to understand. Trusting in God's sovereignty never means that we can live carelessly. I'll say it again. Trusting in God's sovereignty does not mean we can live carelessly. We're called to live attentively. Stay alert. How do we stay alert? We see two things all throughout Scripture. Number one, through abiding. John 15, 4-5, Jesus says, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's no resisting. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, abide in me. That is, remain in that unhindered fellowship with the Lord. Abiding in him through his word, constantly, daily, throughout the day, moment by moment, not segregating our walk with God. Abiding is not saying, okay, I'll give God the first 10 minutes of my morning and then it's up to me the rest of the day. It's inviting him in to that meeting at work. It's inviting him into your commute. It's inviting him into your devotions with your family. It's inviting it. There's abiding. The word of God on our lips, in our heart, ready And how do we abide also? Through prayer. How do we stay spiritually alert? Through prayer. Why? Because what's prayer? Prayer, loved ones, is a declaration of our dependence on God, of our humility before him. But notice, take the other side, prayerlessness is a declaration of our independence. Say, God, I got this. I got this, God. And so what we see so clearly all throughout Scripture is this. Prayerlessness flows out of pridefulness. I don't need you, God. I can resist. I don't need to submit. Prayerlessness flows out of pridefulness. And then abiding is walking in obedience and walking in community with the strength that God provides. So there's abiding we resist. And then as we abide and the word of God is stored up in our our hearts, in our mind and on our lips, here's the second thing, testing. Abiding and testing. 
What are we testing? To recognize and address the deceptions, distractions, and temptations. Remember? Testing it. Is what I'm hearing right now actually lining up with God's word? I mean, it's got a Christian label on it, but does it line up with what the Bible says? Remember the devil, he prowls around. Is it, is it lining up? I hope you can see even from this sermon where it's coming from. It's so crucial. We live testing, testing the spirits, as 1 John says. Recognizing the, detempt, the temptations to compromise through the messages that we hear, the podcast that you're listening to, the, the, uh, the entertainment that you're choosing, the conversations that you're having with so-called who? Even influential people. The gossip when you're tempted with this. Recognize it when you're tempted to grumble or with greed or with lust or the values you're bringing into your home. The apathy. See, we are not called to spiritual sleep, loved ones. And that's what COVID has shown us. So much has happened. Just la, 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 spiritual slumber and apathy, loved ones, we've got to fight it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Spiritually alert. We are not called to spiritual sleep. Watch for those off-guarded moments. Do you ever realize that? It's like, man, it's when I'm, when I'm just, when I'm not thinking, when I'm tired, when I'm this, that's when I stumble a lot. Listen, spiritually alert. Say, Lord, help me in the tiredness. So question right here, are you spiritually alert for what's happening in your homes? Men, you are called to lead in your homes. Do you know well the condition of your flock? How about this? In this church, elders, I love these men. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for being alert to know the condition of the flock. In your personal life, what is your next step to being spiritually alert? Abiding, testing, what? Here's the second thing we see. Humble resistance is not just spiritually alert. It's done by faith. Notice this, by faith. It depends on and obeys God's word. Keep going, verse nine. Be sober-minded, verse eight. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Here it is. Resist him firm in your faith. See, as we abide in him, believers are called to stand firm in faith. Resist him, firm in your faith, through dependence on and obedience to God's word. And as they constantly turn to God and grow in their knowledge of the truth, and they obey it in his power, notice what happens? They resist the devil. They resist the devil. Question, are you standing firm in your faith? Where's that unbelief creeping in? You need to say, Lord, increase my faith, help my unbelief. Where is that? Where is that? Just write that down and say, Lord, help my unbelief right there. Give me faith to stand firm. Where do you need to repent of sin? You're not standing firm in your faith because you're not walking in obedience. You're just, there's this unchecked sin of pride that's going on in your life saying, God, I know better. Yeah, I'll obey, but I'll prioritize what God wants me to prioritize after, what, what is it? Let's just repent. There's, there's no condemnation on the other side of repentance, loved ones, only comfort. Where is that for you? Are you growing in the knowledge of God's word and increasingly obeying it? If you need a reading plan to get you started, just go on to our website, loved ones. It's all right there. All right, lastly, we see this third thing humble resistance is spiritually alert, it stands firm in faith. 
and it's done in community. See this? It's done in community. It remembers that I am not alone and others are going through this with me. What a comfort that is. Look at, look at verse 9, the back half of verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. That is a comfort. The word, the, the word suffering there means trials. The same trials you're facing, the same feelings you're facing, the same conflicts and agonies. Can I just encourage you, brothers and sisters? You are not the only one going through what you're going through. You're not the only one going through what you're going through. And thinking otherwise, do you know what it does? You see what happens? It only isolates you. It cuts you off from the community. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. And thinking we're the only ones going through what we're going through and that no one understands you, it leads to self-pity. What is self-pity? Pride. No one gets it. I'm all on my own. They just don't understand. Just hear God's word. It's so clear. You and I are not the only ones going through what we are going through. Do not isolate yourself. Can I just encourage you with this, loved one? God understands. Remember from verse 7, he cares for you. His word never changes. It has guided, is guiding, and will guide many others through it. And he will do that for you too. As you humble yourself under it and live in the uncommon community he's put around. You see, one of the greatest gifts God in his wisdom has given the church, get this, ready? Eyes up here, here it is, is the ability to fight together. Not fight with one another, fight together. Striving side by side for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stirring one another up to love and good deeds. And in the uncommon community that does that is increasingly the picture of the community of heaven on earth. Yes, you are not the only one going through what you're going through. So let me ask you a question. Are you isolating yourself? What is your next step? Maybe you're like, I can't confess this to anyone. I'm going to be, they're going to reject me. They're going to judge me. Here, here, can I, can I just encourage you even this week? Give our office a phone call. And just say, I just want someone to pray with me. Send an email on Hope Praise on our website. So I just want to pray and we will make sure that we come around you and your brothers and sisters in Christ can support you in that. Take that step. Don't isolate. It takes humility, but God gives grace to the humble. Amen. See, to live with uncommon humility, we must resolve to choose humility. We must resist and stand firm in humility. And as we do this, it all points to this. Ready for the big crescendo? We must believe. Humble resistance believes what? That Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Jesus Christ will fulfill his promises. Question facing us today comes out of this. Will you believe in him? Will you be? Look at verses 10 and 11. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Look at that promise. Amen? To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, Peter finishes by reminding the believers of God's power and dominion over what they will face. His power and dominion over the devil and the promise of restoration, strength, and establishment they will have through Jesus Christ in this life and definitely in him for 
eternity. And notice, I want you to notice something so key in this text. Don't miss, don't, don't miss this. Ready? Circle the term there in verse 10, little while, a little while. After you've suffered a little while. I want to encourage you with this. Suffering, the animosity, the opposition, the trial, you know what that means? It won't last forever. To the praise of his glorious grace, it will not last forever. Praise the Lord. And here's the bonus. Here's the bonus that comes with suffering and trials. This is why James 1 says, consider it all joy. Why? Because here's the bonus of any opposition suffering we face. Hey, you know what God's going to do? He will only allow it to be used for our good and his glory as he conforms us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. And as we are increasingly conformed to his image, guess what happens? The unity we have in Jesus only deepens, and the more of an uncommon community we become. God will take what the enemy desires for destruction, and what's he going to do? He's going to use it for good. In your face, devil. Amen. Yes. If you're going to say amen, that's what I'm talking about. In your face, devil. You can't stop the grace of God. Loved ones, remember this. The suffering, the affliction, the temptation of believers can be intense. Yes. And we've seen that this past year. But God's grace towards us is still stronger. Amen. You cannot defeat it. He will never leave us or forsake us. And he will always fulfill his promises and will establish us for his glory. How, how, how? Because in the greatest act of God's grace ever shown, here it is, Jesus Christ humbled himself. Jesus Christ humbled himself and came to earth. And notice what he did right from our outline today. He fulfilled every part of it. He walked in perfect humility before God and man. Chose it every time. He stood firm in his faith and resisted the devil in humility every time he was tempted. How did he resist him? With the word of God. He was tempted even to the point of death on a cross, and yet he went through it and forgave us our sins for all who would repent and confess him as Lord and Savior. And after his death on the cross, he was raised from the dead Three days later, achieving victory over the devil. Jesus wins. Victory over the devil, over sin and death for all time. And he was given authority over all heaven and earth and the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, church? Come on. This is the great hope of the gospel. Jesus, the foundation for all uncommon community, and he stands ready. He stands ready to empower us with the uncommon humility to increasingly be the picture of community of heaven on earth. And maybe you're thinking right here, man, this is so hard. This is so hard. Can I remind you of this as we close out? Right on the screen. Jesus will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. It's hard, but remember, Jesus will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. The question is, will you believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so encouraged through this word. Thank you for your word. 
that it convicts and that it's so refreshing for the soul that it gives hope, that it gives joy, that it gives peace. Jesus Christ, I thank you that you will come through always. And though the suffering will last a little while, and though the, the restoration, the rest that we are looking for may not even come in this life, but we will wait till the next. Lord, thank you that it is coming. It is coming. You are coming. The enemy is defeated. And you have given us through your death and resurrection, you have given us all we need for life and godliness. And you are exalted and you are over all and nothing is stronger than your grace. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we respond in worship today, love?